Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and today's episode is with best selling author Anissa Gray. She has a new book out titled Life and Other Love Songs. You may also know her from her previous work, her, uh, her previous book, The Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls. It is a striking novel. They are both striking novels. Uh, and I really think you will be moved. It is at times harsh and haunting, but it is so complex and it weaves in these delicate conversations about family and music and fear and pride and so much more. And one of those things in particular, music, is what we discuss on today's episode. Anissa grew up in a house that was teeming to the brim with gospel music. And it is really interesting to hear how that love of spiritual music inspired her life for a long time and then her work and how she's brought it back into her latest story. It is a beautiful conversation and a beautiful book. I think you're absolutely going to love it if you haven't checked it out already. Uh, Before we get to that discussion, though, I want to give you a book recommendation, and I'm doing a themed one today. Uh, About two, maybe three years ago at this point, a book came out called Hollywood Park by Mikkel Jolette. Uh, Mikkel is the lead singer of one of my favorite bands of all time, the Airborne Toxic event. And they had an album that came out around that same time with the same name, Hollywood Park. The novel is about his upbringing and his family's uh, basically suffering with addiction and how that became a family affair. Uh, In the story itself, he spends basically the entire book talking about his upbringing from the time he was born uh, all the way through just about adulthood. Uh, His story is unique in the sense that he started his life as part of Synanon, which was originally a drug rehabilitation program and devolved into a notoriously violent cult. Um, He and his brother and his mom escape and his dad gets out of prison and there's just a lot of intricacies that occur in his life. And the story itself is written sort of as uh, magical realism meets nonfiction. It is so moving. It is so stunning. I highly recommend listening to the audiobook of Hollywood Park because Mikkel plays a lot of the music from the album throughout the audiobook. It's a beautiful and heartbreaking story, and I think it pairs really, really well with today's conversation with Anissa Gray about 
uh, Life and other love songs. So I, I think you should definitely check both of those out. If you ever want to get a hold of me, you can always find me at passionsandprologues at gmail.com. There I take all of your emails about the things you are passionate about. Be happy to give you some book recommendations anytime you like. And I give a randombookshop.org gift card to anyone who reaches out. I pick one random one every single month to anyone who sends me the things they're passionate about. And I'll send somebody that uh, at the end of May here. Also, one last thing, if you're looking for book recommendations, I did a bonus episode over the weekend with my buddy Mallory O'Meara. She has a brand new book out uh, titled Girls Make Movies. It's a nonfiction choose your own adventure story all about how movies get made. It's perfect for uh, young girls, especially ages like nine to 16, but really anybody can check it out. I am so excited. My copies will be arriving in just a day or so. Um, But again, we did about a dozen book recommendations there. So feel free to check that out in your feed if you haven't already. And then lastly, if you ever want to find me on social media, I am on TikTok and Instagram at Passions and Prologues. Okay, a lot of housekeeping there, but I wanted to make sure you didn't miss the weekend episode because it is chock full of book recommendations. And speaking of books you need to check out, I am so excited for you to listen to this conversation with Anissa Gray, author of Life and Other Love Songs on Passions and Prologues. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Okay, Anissa, what is something that you are super passionate about that we're going to be discussing today? Uh, say music. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, and, and for people who uh, have read or, or will be reading by the time this comes out, you know, Life and Other Love Songs, that will become imminently obvious as how it is <laughs> kind of integral into the plot of the book itself. But um, I guess let, let's start at the beginning. Like when you were growing up, what was the types of music and things that were being played in in your house? Growing up, I listened almost exclusively to gospel music. Mm -hmm. I was uh, raised in, uh, my father was a preacher, my mother was a homemaker, and I grew up in an evangelical family. So actually secular music was a sin. Mm -hmm. So I grew up just loving gospel music but occasionally at a friend's house i would hear you know you know this is from the 70s you know i might hear some of the dgs or you know or some other group and 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 that sort of perked something up in my ear and it gave me an interest in in something beyond gospel music but gospel music is foundational for me it's, it's like almost in my dna mm-hmm. 
So how would you say that growing up with, like you said, your father being a preacher and this music being all around you, like, do you think it um, had an effect before you started hearing, like you said, kind of secular music? Do, do you think it had um, an effect on the way, you know, when you were a kid that you like would either think about the world or stories or anything like that? Do you think it had an effect beyond just being ever present and omnipresent? Do you think it had an effect on like the way that you interacted with your life? At the time, I would say no. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, fast forward decades later and, you know, some years of getting away from gospel music just because of personal life experience. I came out as gay and gay was very incompatible with the church. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time where I was completely cut off from uh, the church and music. I didn't want to listen to it at all. Um, Fast forward a few years and I lost my dad Mm -hmm. and he loved music. You know, gospel music, through him, gospel music was the soul of our family. Mm -hmm. And with that loss, I found myself making my way back to that music that was so foundational for me and and discovering like this newfound love and this new um, appreciation for the texture of it. And so I listen to gospel music now um, with the ear of an adult, but the heart of a child. It puts me in touch with with my childhood in ways almost nothing else can, mm-hmm. because so much of my childhood was bound up in church, and 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 there was there was a lot of beauty to it. Some of my happiest years were spent, you know, in church, at church events, church, church functions, with that music always playing in the background. So I have found myself making this journey back to this music that was so foundational for me that I had loved for some time. And it's been a beautiful experience and it's been recent. Can you touch a little bit more on, on the texture of gospel music? That's such a interesting way of describing it. I, just for my listeners, I would love to hear you sort of expound on that a little bit. Yeah. So um, when I became distant from the, the church I grew up in, um, I went in a completely different direction. I became an Episcopalian. And Episcopalians are very staid and quiet. There's the organ, and that's about it. <laughs> and and the songs are, you know, quieter. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a, if it's, a, it's a different vibe. Um, gospel music is the organ. It's the piano. It's the drum. It's the quality of voice. It's also so much of it comes from a place of of pain, but also hope. Hmm. And there, there's a whole narrative in there. It, it's storytelling in in a way that that you know, and this isn't to take away from you know other hymns, but it's storytelling in a way that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the history of a people all tied together through common force, and that for me that's what makes it textural to me. Yeah, I love that. Um, you mentioned kind of rediscovering this music after you lost your father. You know, what was that? And you don't have to go super deep. I I didn't intend to make this like a introspection. I promise. But like you know, what was that experience like? 
for you rediscovering that music you mentioned i know what you mean about like reminding you of your youth because i do feel like i like the music to a lesser extent for me the, the music of my parents i still listen to it now and i think i as i'm getting older i, I have an even bigger appreciation for the music that mm-hmm. i was raised on and, and it does bring back that like nostalgic feeling for me but but for you given that this music was like you said so it wasn't just like for me like there would be music on a long car ride for you it was so integral in, in so much of your life so what was sort of rediscovering that music like as an adult like how did how did that feel and, and how did you process that well i mean for me it you know it's sometimes tears and uh it's sometimes um you know it sometimes deeply emotional because in a lot of ways i feel connected with my family because you know for me growing up church was not just church church was family time it was when we were all there together we were all singing the same songs we were all on one accord as they say and it did and, and oftentimes it's just a rush of those memories and it's warm and um and it's just the great way of being in touch with my father in ways that i wasn't in touch with him in the later years of his life mm-hmm. So how would you say, I guess the first question is, did you sort of rediscover this love of music, uh, of this music of your childhood when you were writing your first novel, The Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls? Was was this something that you rediscovered during that time or is it before, I guess, like to just like a, a to put it more simply, like how has this rediscovery of music affected the way that, that you tell stories? I I discovered it while writing uh, Like Another Love Songs because that was, I rediscovered it because that was the period in which my father died. So I was writing a book about disappearing fathers. And it, what was really interesting is when I set down religion, religious themes um, are quite prominent in, in care and feeding. I mean, they, it's like, you know, they live in my head. I, you know, I can't help it. I'm a preacher's yeah. kid. So when I sat down to write um, like another love song, I was like, you know what? No church, nothing church related. Nobody's going to church. Nobody's citing the scripture. And so that pushing away of it became a plot point in the book. Why doesn't this guy go to church? And, and it became central to his story. Mm-hmm. And then there are a couple of scriptures that flowed out of it. So it found its way. It found its way anyway. And so I'm 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 writing this, you know, I lose my dad. I'm you know, I'm thinking about music. And it was during this process, this grieving process, this writing process, this excavation of a family's history process, that I really started to listen again to gospel music. Mm-hmm. I love I love the idea. So many, uh, so many authors I've talked to over the years have said, you know, like anytime I used to ask a question, like, "Well, do you see yourself in these characters that you've written?" And every single one of like, "Yeah, of course I do." I, this is, you know, <laughs> I'm the one who wrote them. I've stopped asking that type of question, but I love the idea that you were so specifically being like, "There's no church in this. I'm. We're not going to write about it." And it's like so ingrained in you that it's like actually the no church part <laughs> is a plot point now. It's in there. <laughs> Damn it! It's, yeah, I can't, can't get away from it. Um, did. It did the, the how did it, I know every novel and every like process every project for a writer is different, but how did the writing of the two novels feel differently to you from a process standpoint? Um, with Karen's feeding, 
I did not generally know what I was doing. I was a very new novelist. <laughs> and um, I'd written a novel before that was not the greatest. And so I set out to write that novel. It was much more closely tied to my personal story. There's a character in there who has in recovery from an eating disorder. So in a lot of ways, I had full control, I felt, of the narrative and, and of the details of some of these stories, uh, having lived some of those moments myself. So in some ways, it was easy from that perspective. It was more difficult because I was still in the process of learning the craft. And um, so I wrote in a very inefficient way. Mm -hmm. um, but but I got her done. Uh, so that was that was that process. With this novel, I think I felt a little bit of pressure going into the second book mm -hmm. uh, after the success of Karen Feeding, and so I had some of that weighing on me. I had a better sense about how to write a novel that was helpful. Mm -hmm. um, but there were a lot of outside forces. There was the pandemic, there was the loss of my father, and there was this sort of emotional turmoil, turmoil that uh, came from that. So all of that fed into uh, into writing this novel. Had those things not happened, I, I don't know what the experience would have been like. I can only say that for this novel, it was a very difficult novel for me to write. Mm -hmm. And I was blessed to have the the enduring support and cheerleading of both my editor and my um, my agent to sort of see me through. Yeah, actually, I, I want to ask about a little about a little bit about process for that from a uh, from a standpoint of like you said, you when you wrote your first novel, I I have a manuscript that I'm currently querying, so I know what you mean about like not really feeling like you know what you're doing, and you're also <laughs> you literally are when you're writing that for for people who who have never tried this process. Like when you're writing that first novel without an agent or an editor, you really are. You're it's just like it's like a Jackson Pollock idea. You're just throwing stuff at. It and you're like I hope this turns into something beautiful. Um, it, so with having an agent and an editor, and like you said, obviously the added pressure of like people know who you are, and like the the first book deservedly so got so much praise and adoration like the process when you're writing that first novel it's just you know you and a computer you and a notebook if that's how you choose to write how involved were your editor and your agent like throughout the process of maybe initially drafting the second novel was it a lot of back and forth with them or did you kind of hand them a full manuscript first and you were like all right what do you guys think of this there's there's a lot of back and forth and discussing the idea it, it, and it's, in fact it's you know I'm glad you brought up sort of writing on your own that first novel mm -hmm. there's a sense of freedom in that mm -hmm. and it's beautiful you can just you know make your mistakes clean them up and just really learn the process all on your own with nothing with nothing else there um, with this novel the process was different mm -hmm. um, I had uh, you know wonderful feedback from my editor by that time we had built a relationship which is crucial um because it's really intimate work you have someone who's you know saying maybe do it like that it, it, there's trust there when you build trust same with my um agent so that was helpful but it was the process was different because there was there were ongoing conversations throughout the writing um so for instance i had written a full draft 
of this book in a linear way. Mm-hmm. This happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. And my editor read it and was like, you know, I don't know, you know, maybe there's some restructuring mm-hmm. to be done. And I was incredibly resistant. <laughs> <laughs> but because of that trust between us, you know, because I, you know, I know she cares about this work as much as I do, cares about me as a person. I was like, okay, I'm going to try it. And she was 100% right. She was 100% right. The book would not be what it is without that one suggestion challenging me to do something that I'd never done before. Given given that um, gospel music is, like you said, such an integral part of, of your life and something you're so passionate about and the music plays such a, a heavy aspect in this book which we'll get into in just a minute i'm curious did you did you find yourself listening to gospel music while you were writing or before you were writing to kind of get in that that mindset or was it sort of like wholly separated i listened to all kinds of music during the writing um so the 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 book takes place from uh the early 1960s to the 90s so i was actually listening to a ton of motown music um classic rock the Who, um, The Pretenders. Mm-hmm. Um, it ran in the full gamut as well as gospel music. That's awesome. You are so in like, I know this might sound, I, I'm 37, so this might sound weird to say like you're in my like zone, but I, I mentioned like that is the music of like my parents. Like my <laughs> my father, uh, my father grew up uh, listening to Motown. So like he passed the Motown jeans on to me, but also that like classic rock and like, so as soon as you said that and like having read the book, I'm like, yeah, I can definitely get those vibes. That makes me so happy. I love that so much. And I have to imagine um, you know, for people who, like I said, who might not have like tried the process of writing a story, it really is incredible to me because I did the same thing when I was writing my manuscript, like how the music you're listening to can really set the tone for how you are writing various scenes. Like I, I am blown away that how accurate that is yeah absolutely i mean it is it's essentially a soundtrack and and my my publishers put together an actual soundtrack for the book which i thought was the coolest and um so you 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 can see some of the some of the songs now some of the songs that um were really important um playing throughout the scenes of the book I mean, I gave thought to every single song that shows up in the book. Every song is there for a reason. I love that so much. So we've been kind of dancing around the new novel, but for my listeners, you know, we're recording this the week before the novel comes out. This episode will come out right around when the book does. Um, But for my listeners, can you give them a bit of an introduction to life and other love songs from like a plot standpoint and characters and all that good stuff? Yeah, so... Life and Other Love Songs is a story about what happens to a family after a husband and father goes missing. The husband and father, Oz, is by most accounts a pretty normal guy. He goes missing on his 37th birthday, totally fails to show up for the birthday party his family has for him at home. Uh, he leaves behind a wife, Deborah, who is an aspiring singer. Um, she's dealing with the frustrations of not having made made it and become a star, and and she's living as a suburban housewife, which is 
so far outside of what she had planned for herself that, you know, it's, it's, it's sad. Um, he also leaves behind his, uh, teenage daughter, Trinity, who he adores. So as you can imagine with the disappearance of this magnitude, um, it completely upends the family. And as Deborah and Trinity go across time, and they learn more about Oz, and they come to see what happened to him and why, it is even that much more destabilizing. I, I'm going to ask what might be an obvious question, but now hearing you talk about your first book and obviously your experiences leading up to writing this book, is writing these stories that are at least fairly closely personal to you, like does it feel cathartic for you or is it hard in the moment to kind of write these stories that are, you know, if not directly related to your life, very like close to the things that help make up your background? Like does it feel good writing these things or is it is it challenging for you? Uh, the first book felt good because it was more closely tied to my life and you know I get more clearly even even at the time I started writing the book more clearly point to the fact that I know this this is a part of my life this reflective of a part of my life and this is catharsis hmm. this book was less so because it's less overtly tied to some of the specifics of my life there are certainly key elements um, so for instance, the family, they make their way up the, uh, economic ladder to the middle class. They, uh, end up moving to an all white neighborhood. Their daughter, Trinity grows up there, you know, the only black kid. Um, I identify closely with that. That's, you know, in many ways, my story. Um, so I den- I identify with what Trinity went through, but on a, broader scale, this is a different story from my life. So what was wonderful for, for me was to also have a wonderful time creating these stories mm. of these characters who are so different from me, who have had experiences nowhere near what I've had, but to have enough empathy to create them and bring them to the page. Yeah. It, I, I, to a lesser extent, I feel like I know what you mean. I started to write a manuscript a long time ago that was like very closely related to my life. And then I sort of abandoned it. And when I wrote the one that I'm querying, it's it's very much like, yes, there's out attributes of me and some of these characters, but it is so differently. And like, it is honestly easier sometimes to write those stories that are further away from your life because you don't feel like that like you have that like niggling in the back of your mind where you're like, oh, someone's going to read this and they're going to know it's them or like these little, like it is sometimes. It's also, it's very like having that excitement of being like, I'm creating this world or I'm creating this thing wholly out of nothing. It does so, it feels like a magic trick sometimes. I I, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. I think that for me is, you know, a lot of people ask me what I enjoy about writing. There are a number of things, but I think the biggest thing is when you see a scene, I don't write to outline. I sort of write intuitively and <clears throat> trying to let the characters lead. Now, when you see a scene or a moment that you didn't plan for, that 
utterly surprises you, mm-hmm. starting to materialize on the page. Certainly, you're writing it, but it, it's not what you had in mind, and it's almost a miraculous thing. And that is so special. There is nothing more exciting than writing a scene and going yeah. back and reading it and being like, "Did I write? The... <laughs> Are those my <laughs> words?" Somebody sneak in here while I was taking yeah. a nap over there on my nap couch. Yeah, well, this feels like you're getting away with something. I know. Yeah, that's. Oh, I love that so much. Um, I will say one of the reasons I'm drawn to your work and, and especially the second book is, I I love a I I have a very close knit and large family, and like so I do love stories about family, even the ones that are like you know, anytime a book is described as like a family saga by someone in like a blurb, I'm like, okay, I know I'm gonna read that. Uh, for you, when you're reading stories, do you find yourself drawn towards stories like this, or do you like to kind of get out of your own world entirely and read things that are completely disconnected from your own work? Yeah, I mean, I I love family stories um, of all types. I mean, Star Wars is a family story, mm-hmm. right? You know, it is a dad, it is a son, it is a daughter. It is true playing out across, you know, galaxies and worlds with lightsabers, but it is at its heart, it's a family story. So I I love family stories in all of their complexity. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I have one more question for you. I always ask every author who comes on to provide a recommendation of any kind. It can be a book. It does not have to be. I know people ask authors for book recommendations all the time. Uh, it could be, I've had people give recommendations for a protein powder or going for a walk or to watch a specific TV show. So what's just one thing that you think more people should know about that you really enjoy? I know that's a very broad question. Yeah, that's super broad. You kind of... It's like there's a, a TV show that I just really loved recently. Oh, I really enjoyed watching Tetris. I mean, the movie on Apple. Uh-huh. I don't know if anybody has seen it. I had no idea about that story. I love learning something new that just kind of blows my mind. <laughs> I so and... I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I have I literally I was listening to a, a podcast yesterday and they were talking about it and they said the same thing. They're like, it is shockingly great. And like the story behind Tetris is pretty mind blowing. Uh, that's the, I'm like, how is this story of this game so complex and so riveting? I, you know, I, I, I would recommend Tetris. It, 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 it just never would have guessed. I, I love that so much. I, and I will say for everyone listening in, you'll have heard me talk about it in the intro, but Life and Other Love Stories is the type of book that's gonna like tear you apart and put you back together. I it made I loved every single page of this. And this thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so so much for having me. It's been fun for sure. Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell.
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.